Let's go. Master of all things tabletop. With the Paladins of Podcast. They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck, how to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest. I'm also recording. Dig it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Side Quest with your Paladins of Podcast, Robin Eli. And after the convention, hate to say that we're back to remote, but it works out. Yeah? Yeah, we're back from Gen Con. Woo! Yes. Now, Saturday, last Saturday, we talked about how things were going when we were there. I mean, that was our Friday night. We were hanging out, first session in person. Uh, but it didn't allow us to really captivate the last half of the convention, which we kind of have had time to digest now. And I would love to really get back into it and sort of talk about how the rest of the convention was for both of us. So, yeah, I guess... it was, it was, I, I did end up actually going to some of the free seminars. Did you? I had, I had some free time, so I went and saw some uh, some seminars. Do you uh, happen to go to the YTSR failed? No, I didn't. No, uh, I miss it every year. <laughs> you miss it every year. You, you seem to every take so much joy about that one. That I miss it, or that I, I, I'm always excited to go. But I, yeah, always you're miss always it. excited to go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Last last year, I was exhausted. This year, uh, I was busy. <laughs> so I, I ran right over it. Um, which ones did you see that were free? Which ones did you uh, really check out and enjoy? Uh, I saw one uh, that was about growing and sharing uh, like your communities mm -hmm. uh, for like your online spaces. Um, it was by someone from Schlock Mercenary that uh, like what they did Schlock Mercenary, but they also um, they had like a line of children's books. Okay. So they wanted to talk about like how to mix your communities and how to foster those communities. Um, and that, that one was cool. Um Anything and that... then I went to one that was by uh, the 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 guy who does the podcast, me myself and die. Okay, I I've heard, heard about it. that. I've yeah, heard of it. Guy was super charismatic, uh, and like you could see, like he was was like he was really engaging at certain points. But the entire thing, like the the premise of the the seminar was. Um, how to implement solo solo adventuring techniques into like your group play. So like like because like when you play uh, like a solo RPG, like there's a lot of like I mean you have to be the GM and the player at the same time. So right. there's like lots of tools to help you be the GM. And so he was trying to show um, to sh like to show how you could use those. Um, it really ended up just being kind of a shill for this uh for for this book that he had the the <laughs> mythic the mythic game mastering essentials or something like that um I've seen it I yeah I see I know exactly what book you're talking about now that you've said at least close to the title because I have looked at it on drive through RPG and I have debated purchasing it but the fact is that I don't do solo games i don't like 
if it was just me myself as the D Evan player, I would probably just skip it and watch a movie. But if it was me and just another individual, I still wouldn't buy the book because I'd still run the game my way. <laughs> yeah, like because the the book it a lot of it was mainly like what's the message say? Here's a D hundred table sort of thing or a D a D twelve table for, um, but the but it did have this interesting little chart that was uh like what's the probability so like or like what's the like how would you describe the chance of something happening with words and so it had like kind of granular like extremely likely very likely slightly likely and then it had like a chaos meter and like okay. all these percentages where it'd be like it would break down and it would have like a four a, a basically it would break a d100 into four sections um extreme no no yes extreme yes so kind of like the idea was is like if a player asks is this trapped then you'd go well how likely is it that the the mad tomb of galthrax has traps and you say okay well extremely likely and mm -hmm. so it might be like there's like a 15 percent chance of extreme yes uh like a 60 percent chance of yes and then like a 15% chance of no and like a 5% chance of extreme no. And so like if a player asks you roll and you get extreme yes and you're like not only is it trapped but it's an extreme trap or nice. no it's not trapped or whatnot. Sure. Which I thought would be like a nice tool to have kind of like for, for improvisational gaming if, mm -hmm. you, if you really feel that pinch like, cause it's really only needed if you don't know if there's a trap there or right. like if you don't have a pulse or something ready, but I think having this tool would be kind of like at the table, you could be like, oh yeah, sure. Roll, boom, boom. There you go. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I know that you also really enjoy a lot of different tables. Random tables are kind of your thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I'd really enjoy it if when I'm creating an adventure, um, but maybe not at the table itself. Like when you're sitting down, you have to roll on a D10,000 table. <laughs> everyone loves D10,000 tables. When you bring out the D10,000 dice for Hackmaster, everyone's like, what? No way. Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. I, I will have to say that um, it was interesting. So Hackmaster 5th Edition is the first time I've played Hackmaster, and it was on your hosted game for the stone coin through Gen Con Saturday morning. Um, I love how easily you sat at the head of the table and navigated the game as game master. Uh, expertise shines through. It was really a pleasant experience. It wasn't super confusing and you explained it. So everybody got it really well. Um, I appreciated all of those things. I got one question because this was a, a tournament, if I remember correctly, so yeah. the which, camp... which is it's funny because like you you say it's a tournament i think at the table that you had there was one person that had played hackmaster before and then the other five were just completely new people are willing right. to play hackmaster if we had four more tms i think we'd sell out of all the events all right sorry, I, but uh what, what's your question that. so now we call it a tournament but the real premise is that it's essentially a test play to figure out how this particular adventure is going to go through shape up for the next one. Uh, if I understand correctly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a tournament, 
but it's also their hope is that you know they can polish the game from all these essentially playtesting mm-hmm. and then it can be published it, it happened with the other one of them the isle of red okay. and i think the other one cathedral of shadows is in the process nice so points are allocated to the tables that play and you and i were just talking beforehand uh the table i i was at we didn't win which is disheartening but it is life i don't ever win anything but are uh are those numbers and stats something that you can talk about in side quest i mean kind of like there's a ranking system etc i don't know okay so you're saying that we were second or third out of your tables yeah, I think I think you guys were either. I mean, I I, I had one table that scored kind of low, and then mm-hmm. two other tables that scored about the same. Um, and I couldn't remember which table was higher. Okay, now, what would have it had taken, without giving away details? I don't want to spoil the adventure, but what would have know, it taken okay. to get more points? I mean, it felt like we were doing pretty well, but. Obviously, if we weren't the highest, we did something, I guess, wrong. Well, see, this was uh, this was the first year. I, I don't think you guys did anything necessarily wrong. Right. Um, I do. There were there were a couple things like finding the traps gives you more points than setting off the traps. Oh, that's fair. So, like you, you, you at one point found a pit trap, mm-hmm. um, and you you fell down it. And that gave you some points. And then at the very beginning, when you approached the pyramid, you encountered a trapdoor spider. Yes. And that trapdoor spider actually had a secret tunnel in it that would have bypassed that entire first level and just popped you off on uh, the second floor, which would have no. been right where, yeah, right where the uh, you could have then taken the pyramid mask. Um, up all, and then you could have skipped straight towards the end. And so, kind of the premise is that you want to you want to leap and get past as many of the short encounters as quickly as you can. And our table did what we could to literally run through it in the most direct route that seemed obvious. Damn it all! <laughs> yeah, that, I'll, I'll say though that this was the first. Usually, like when we run one of these, mm-hmm. we set the party down right in front of the dungeon like okay. you would have started outside the pyramid and you're just kind of like have at you you're in the adventure um but this time we did start like basically before the hook right and i mean that's always tough to have like a role-playing segment inside uh the uh like inside a tournament so I think right. it, that can sometimes also be a little bit of a, of a trap or a trick um, to get people because that's that's the tough part is because so many people want to play in Hackmaster games and they just love to role play and it's amazing mm-hmm. and it's really fun at the table. Um, yeah, I I noticed looking at it, it's a four we had a four hour block which seems to be a a great time it, it seems to, like pacing for four hours is generally pretty good four hours is bef- just before you start to hit fatigue things aren't too super long 
And I remember when I did my play test for Legend of the Pharaoh King, I did four hours with maybe into five. And it took four almost into the fifth hour. And one of the things I had done initially was kind of you start at the beginning. So you get the initial information before just getting plopped right in front of the dungeon crawl aspect of that game. And we still shortchanged some descriptions. We I didn't fill them in all the lore. I'm looking at this, like it should be a four or five hour one shot. You include all that shit? We're looking at maybe eight hours if you're going to be really nuanced going through it. So in a convention setting, yeah, I, I can definitely see how that pre-hook role play, while it's fun and entertaining, it's good for the party, it's great for morale, but in a, I guess as we call tournament setting right now, it really cuts down on the opportunity to score. And this makes me sound like I wanted to play to win. I just, if there's a goal to play for, I want to do that too. So. It, it kind of ends up being more like a side benefit for like, you know, one lucky table ends up getting, uh, you know, free Hackmaster product. Um, yes. One one thing that I'll say that we do as well is after we usually run like the tournaments one year mm -hmm. um, and then the next year and at all the other cons, um, we'll, we'll split up it in like, so there ne next year, there might be the stone coin part one and the mm -hmm. stone coin part two, where oh, you could cool. have an eight hour block to actually go through and, uh, explore the entire element because there are, um, you can't, you can't, you, you cannot finish with four hours mm -hmm. and with eight hours, it's definitely enough time that pretty much everyone should be able to finish the adventure. Um, nice. And then the third step after that is, um, Ron, the guy who writes these adventures for the tournament, uh, usually starts adding elements of the the long form adventure. So, like, because everything gets gets built out yeah. off the core of that tournament, uh, and so then he'll usually run like a three part or another different two part with all those extra added elements uh, to start testing the adventure with those elements. That's like that's that. kind of with with this tournament with the tournament. It's really great to see. Uh, to test out story awards mm -hmm. because the story awards are, I mean, for a module, it's like, you know, you did this, you gain extra ex experience points and they're usually pretty rigid and you don't really know what, like, as a player, you don't know what these hidden objectives are. Mm -hmm. um, and so running through so many different iterations, <laughs> you can see, oh, not a single person thought to do this. Maybe this shouldn't be an award and like, oh, hey, they did this thing that was really cool. I think if other people repeated this, this should, this this is kind of one now that I've seen it happen. Oh, this is obvious. Yeah, they should totally do that. Right, um, and that's really relative, not relative, um, but recognizant of the Pathfinder organized play or the live plays where they take all of these things that parties and groups had done when the modules were being developed and they included the things that everybody tried to do or didn't try to do, et cetera. They cut it out, chopped it up. Uh, so that's where you get your life play from. And I like that idea. Something I wanted to consider if I had enough feedback on sort of my starter modules. Like what happens when you go back to Ancaris in the Legend of the, the Pharaoh King? You know, how, how do I write that now that everybody has gone through it after a year or two? Um, you know, does the, does the undead Pharaoh King return? Or does he stay dead and something else plague the damn city? Who knows? So... <laughs> I we're, like uh, we're not really doing a, a live campaign setting, um, so that's just, that's something that we can kind of avoid. 
Right. Um, I would but say that's... we're trying to get more and more ambitious. Mm-hmm. This is this is um, been doing this for a while, but when I first got into it, there was maybe one other person running Hackmaster, and then we grew to three, and then now we're up to five or six GMs that nice. can run consistently. And so it's it's exciting to see kind of this this community of uh, of GMs start to grow over time at the convention scene. Yeah. Um, we're trying to throw like you know we're trying to be more and more ambitious with these uh these tournaments so i think it's great i think it's a great way to sort of test your uh initial adventures i think it's a great way to introduce people to the system and fifth edition hackmaster is a revised updated uh, standalone system it's not tied down to a pre-existing rule set correct it's if i if i recall it is it's own thing yeah what, what do you th- what do you think of the game itself i think that there are certain things that are fantastic about it i liked something such as the second by second combat which i've uh kind of imagined would be a little different but it plays well i like the movement factor to it but a lot of the funny rules i can see cutting out so i can streamline the game but that's because I really come from a primary D20 based uh, initiative, turn based initiative system. I do like the certain weapons take X amount of seconds to swing or utilize throwing weapons, etc. A lot of great, neat aspects to that. The D10,000 table, though, it just seems ridiculous in nature, especially if so many of them are chunked together. Like if options 7001 through 7999 are your right shoulder, that could just be one. I, I can cut that thousand out. I can turn it into a yeah. D100 table. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, also, then you wouldn't be able to roll a D10,000. Now, now, when you say D10,000, we have got to remind people that we're not talking about a single die. We, we have to roll four D10s. And yeah. one of them is the, the thousandth marker, the hundredth marker, the ten marker, and the single so, I mean, that's in the convention, they're not even small dice. They're like, they're each of them are large. I got to roll essentially what feels like half of a football between four dice in my hands. <laughs> I, I did that intentionally because uh, I went to Cheshix okay. and uh, they have, they've got the tiny ones, like the normal size D10s, mm-hmm. but having a critical and having those big dice, I mean, it just makes the critical seem more and like feel more impactful. And like the dice are just sitting there. Ooh, it's great. So you're going with a little bit of psychology in there too. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you gotta, it's, it's exciting. That's why you have a D 10,000 table, like, cause you don't get to roll it often. So right. when you do break it out, like make it a fanfare. I can't, I can't disagree with that, but <clears throat> I I don't know if I'd want to break it out frequently. I'm not as I'm also not as big of a table fan as you are. Um, I'll I'll use a lot of them for a generation prior, but to pull them out randomly, not really my thing. Even though when I prep beforehand, I might consult one for something unusual. Like, does this person have a weird quirk? Let's see what he's got. Oh, I mean, I mean, I'm all for tables, but uh, for a D10,000 table, I do have an app. Um, that you know you just you can input the numbers and it just tells you exactly what it is so uh yeah i like tables but i also like easy to reference efficiency uh yeah you can't complain about that um 
All right, what, so, do you, what do you what do you not like about it? Uh, honestly, I don't have much to complain about. Only primarily because I don't have a lot of experience in it. One game does not give me enough to really uh, bite down, chew the fat, and spit out what I don't like. I just have enough to be able to say, yeah, it's not bad. It's something I could see myself getting into. I like it enough that I would continue the system. So you're telling me you're going to start Hackmaster at your home table? No. No, I'm Rob, not. What? We're, yeah, we're all about improving, right? Yes, and. Oh, Yes, right. and. I'll let you zoom in and play, Eli. No. <laughs> yes, I am not going to run that game. <laughs> no, I, I, I love it. I don't have enough um, player interest <laughs> at my home game. That's really it. it. It comes down to getting my players to switch out of the D20 system is already hard enough. And I have been able to break enough bread with other systems that are just adjacent or slightly modified. It's going to take a while to push them into something where they got to learn entirely new mechanics or when they're switching dies around. Um, you know, so yeah. that's that's true. But on the other hand, you're the GM and you're the one running. So you can just go for it. I can, but I'm waist deep already in my Pathfinder 1E games. So I don't want to switch them halfway through yet. All right. Maybe, All maybe right. later. Uh, so... After our Hackmaster game, which was awesome, I went to go talk with Dave Scott of Evil Genius Games. He's CEO. He's the guy who did Everyday Heroes. You remember we reviewed Everyday Heroes, uh, I want to say, late last year, earlier this year? Yeah, yeah, I remember talking about that. All right. So quick, small history. Everyday Heroes, he got the original D20 Modern Team back together. That's right. He went to go uh, speak with Jeff Grubb. And it's, his story is hilarious. I'm just going to paraphrase this quickly. He says he finally cornered him and <laughs> offered to buy him a beer. And after a few beers, he says, hey, remember uh, D20 Modern? We should, uh, we should reboot that. And I was expecting like a, yeah, yeah, we should. Dave says, no, no. It was a hell no. Like, we're not even going to touch that kind of hell no. <laughs> and that surprised me. But the story was great. And some of the other things that we had talked about uh, were essentially how both I got Epic Table started, how Everyday Heroes and Evil Genius Games got started. But the reason I bring this up is because, you know, when you're talking to somebody and you realize and you recognize that the person just sort of gets it, like they are in the zone. They just have that. Uh, that air about them. They just have the know. They are charismatic. <laughs> they have that that energy. And even if it's not loud and boisterous, but it's just magnetic. Dave has that. And I really appreciated just taking the time out of the day to talk to him and him doing the same for me. That was fantastic. That was really one of the highlights of my entire convention. Yeah. It's, it's great to be at these conventions and meeting people. And mm -hmm. that's that's also the great thing is when when you end up leaving the convention on Sunday, is there's also hordes of people leaving. So I think on both my plane rides back, uh, I, I sat next to someone and chatted the entire time. Mm -hmm. And then the you know there's just you get to chat about what games they saw, and every single person had a completely different experience. Right. I talked to like I sat next to Chris Stone, uh, who 
was pitching a bunch of board game ideas the entire convention and that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty much all i did didn't even play and stuff just went to mixers and uh you know pitched people on his board game yeah um and then i also ran into someone who just played trading card games pretty much the entire time and uh <laughs> nice completely different experience like because as a as a role player like oh, i mean i do like board games and i, I did check out the rio grand room but Mm-hmm. I would never have thought to come here just to play uh, board games. See, and that's that's where I sit as well. Um, <clears throat> and mine's a little twofold. I love board games. I love card games. And I played a few last time, last year. This year, I stayed pretty focused on specifically tabletop games, particularly because I, I need to stay laser focused for Epic Table Games. Um, and there's plenty of them dude laser focused and what i do is when i walk in the exhibit floor if i see somebody who's got a ttrpg and nobody is talking to these guys the first thing i walk up right to them like hey i am rob with epic table games i got press right now sell me on your game like tell me what is it about what's this thing that makes it different than everybody else's and that starts the conversation i love hearing about everybody's games like some of them are really goddamn cool. Uh, some of them are neat, but they're not my style or flavor. It doesn't mean they don't need to exist because they absolutely do. But I want to hear about all of them. In fact, I would actually take unsolicited emails like, hey, this is my game. Like, I want to tell you about it. I'll listen. I'll write about it. <laughs> so that, that that's cool. Um, what, what, Saturday. What, a... uh, what tabletop RPGs did you, did you check out? Because I... I looked at a few, but mainly, I mean, Hackmaster is kind of like my fantasy love, so I'm really yep. looking for sci-fi games. And so, when it comes to sci-fi oh, games, Gen Gun, there... yeah, what'd you see? Hold on, I gotta kind of dig for this for just a second, if you don't mind me doing that. But I do have them rather um, semi-organized. Now, semi-organized. for a sci-fi game, yeah, semi-organized. For a sci-fi game, I did come across one that was space-based, like, um, not quite space marines, but you could play as space marines. Are you talking about Rogue Trader? No, it was not Rogue Trader. It was something a little bit different, but I wish that we would have... (laughs) I wish we would have actually mentioned it slightly before I ended up. Um, clean record only because i don't want to i don't want to dig through it everything right now like i got a lot of stuff from sirenscape and if the people oh, i love are listening yeah if they're not familiar with sirenscape it's a soundboard so you can utilize your uh fancy sounds soundtracks etc while you're playing games it works both for live games as well as online games integrates into most uh virtual tabletops which i thought was really friggin' neat I think I've got a month or two of sci-fi subscriptions that I have never used on Sirenscape. Thank you, Tyler, really? for that birthday or uh, Christmas present. Yeah, I like how even though we are not uh, sponsored by, I will still totally rep Sirenscape. I love them. It's again, anything I have to do that takes my focus away from the table is actually hard for me to focus on at all. I can't keep searching for this. I remember exactly what I'm looking for, but I can't find it. What are you looking? For? What are you looking for? Uh, it was it was a uh, sci-fi game, and the sci-fi game, like I said, not space marines, but 
Uh, it was all about outer space. And I don't even have a picture of it right now. Do you remember I had where to take... it was? I do. I do remember where it was. But telling you where the booth was wasn't going to do any good. I don't know. I can look it up. <laughs> look up there pretty. Like... I can't tell you their booth number. Oh. Like, that would be a little. You don't remember the company? No. I just I remember the picture. You remember oh, the picture? Oh. <laughs> oh, was it Battle? It was Battle Lords, the 23rd century. Oh, Battle Lords. Battle Lords of the 23rd that, century. That was um, one of them. Yeah. Still. A lot a lot going on. Um <laughs> I didn't find any other space marine stuff or outer space stuff that was super interesting. I would always direct somebody towards Starfinder if that's the case at this point, though. Um, I haven't written the space marine game I want to play yet, which apparently it's not going to exist until I write it. I am absolutely positive about that. So, yeah. But good news. I have actually started writing a setting remember how we were talking about how certain content certain toolkits certain uh mechanics i easily digest when they have a setting to them and you said generic toolkits are kind of boring just go all in with the buy-in and put flavor to your mechanics okay i revisited my dark noir rpg I am rewriting the mechanics to fit in with my Infinium system. And I am writing the Infinium system with Dark Noir in mind. So I will change certain terminology when other games come out built on the system. But the system will be started and finalized with Dark Noir. Cool. Yeah, it's different. I have been getting hung up on the skills list right now. Alright, but we're talking about Gen Con still. Yeah. What else do you do at yeah. Gen Con after, after that game? You, you checked out some tabletop RPGs. Um... Made a lot of contacts, and then I went to a seminar about immersion with Alphineas Goo of Gooey Cube, which yeah. I love Alphineas, I love Gooey Cube. Uh, I wholeheartedly support them and Alphineas Goo is an entertainer to say the absolute least about him he is the entertainer and he is absolutely fantastic at that uh he wanted to talk about how to build immersion in your games and how there are a few ways to do it and he really repeated the fact that cramming all of that information into 45 minutes is nigh impossible but he would try, and he did. But there was still so much left on the table. What, so much that I wanted to hear. What did he? What did he suggest? Well, one of the first things is that. Well, like, what were your table, takeaways? I should say. Yeah, what were your takeaways? At the table, everybody has to have a certain level of buy-in. If they're not going to have that buy-in, ask them to leave. Because if they're not going to participate and help make things easy for you, that means you have to constantly fight upstream against them and if everybody else buys in you want to work with that because they bought in the people who haven't 
you have to work out the stream against. It makes it harder. It takes away from everybody else, and it's not going to help be immersive. Excuse me, immersive for everybody. Now, certain players, if you can tell that they want to, but they're a little nervous, you can ask other players, like, hey, help these guys really get into it. Help them with that buy-in. Other things I took away is asking them to leave is super paramount if you need to, but at the table, ask what your players are doing. So I could say, Eli, you have reached this tavern with the rest of your party. Uh, what are you doing? And you're still outside. It's raining. I'm trying to shortchange this pretty quick. But you would reply with what you're doing. So that would be... Oh, I, I, like, what exactly. my character what is doing. Like? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. My character is hanging their cloak up on the coat rack um, and trying to dry themselves before the fire. Um, Stop right there. To... Yeah. Stop right there. Boom. Okay. So I would go to some, I would go to the next player. I'd say, uh, you know, Bob, ABC, what are you doing? Eli has taken his cloak off and he's hanging it on a peg as he begins to warm himself by the fire. And then Bob ABC would tell me a little bit. I'd say, stop. I would go to the next person. So only a minute or two per person per table. Not table, but per person. So nobody's being left out for 20 minutes while I'm focusing on somebody who likes to monologue on what they're doing. That I really take away because it's not something I do frequently, but I recognize after hearing it that I should do it way more often. It allows the players to be interested, engaged, and not hanging around doing nothing for an extended period of time. And the last thing is railroad the hell out of your players. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Which it's, it's, yeah, it's the player story in our worlds. I agree with that. I prescribe to that. I, I preach that. But at the end of the day, I mean, that buy-in that they have to take, I have to be able to guide them. And pre-planning and over-planning are, you know, two sides of the same coin. So it doesn't matter if they go left, it doesn't matter if they go right. If I want them to encounter the haunted house, they're going to encounter the haunted house. It doesn't matter what direction they go. That's not taking away player agency. That's getting them to where I want them to be to progress the story, which is by definition railroading. But at the end of the day, that's what they asked for. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think at a certain point in time, like it's not necessarily railroading if it's just your turn to kind of dictate what direction the story is going on. And as a, right. as a game master, you have equal say. So at a, at a certain point, whatever the player's decisions make, it's going to set them on certain tracks. And, you know, right. it's, it's like shoots and ladders. If you end up, if you, have, if you choose, except you get to choose where you land. So if you choose to step on a square, that's going to shoot, you let a vampire lord go. Well, mm -hmm. you've just infected a whole new country with vampires. That sets your party right. back. Right. And again, I mean, in that case there, if, for instance, you want the entire village to be overrun by vampires for some reason, it's going to happen. That's like that's the story that you want the party to interact with. So you'll find a way to make it happen. And that's okay. That's acceptable. And that was that was really the other big main takeaway that I got. So other than that, 
uh, Saturday night, I ended up trying to avoid most of the nerds at the convention. And we left early Sunday morning because I heard Baby might be on the way. Baby was not on the way. But uh, I, I don't feel like I really missed out. Except for we had we were going to do lunch or breakfast, and I was excited to see baby, so I forgot to tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, has the baby come out yet? No, no. But we did have a follow up appointment uh, just earlier this week, and I mean we're really open. We're close. Like we are on the verge. If it had if it doesn't happen by Monday, it's going to happen Monday no matter what. Ooh, congratulations! Right. Thank you. This is number five. Hopefully, it's the last one. Holy, it's a lot of kids. So, uh, my two oldest are my bonus kids from my wife's first marriage. The uh, the young three are are mine, um, biologically. And I love them all the same, but you're right. It is a lot of children. Tax deductions are supposed to be awesome, though, I hear. You know, uh, that is a good table size, though. Yes, and I would love to have a Sunday campaign with my family. I think that'd be fun. It's it's doable, you know. That's that's yeah. why you have kids, right? So you have have players that have to play with you. You know, I'm <laughs> gonna say yes because the last time I made a tax deduction joke, I, it was to my dad over the telephone, and I swear to God, if I was standing right next to him, he would have strangled me. I could hear his animosity through the phone to the point where it was almost choking as it was. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, other than that, with, with a little bit of time left, Eli, you got to do the whole Sunday thing. How was Sunday? I mean, Sunday's a lot of running around. Um, everyone's you know trying to get the last little bit in. Mm -hmm. It's a great time to run. Uh, like it's, it, I think it's a good time to run a game, too. Some people really? disagree, but you usually can... You always are guaranteed to have people hop in because people are like, oh, are you playing? Like, people ask you, like, are you GMing anything more? Or, hey, do you have any open uh, any open seats the rest of the week or anything like that? Yeah. And so it's also a, it's like a great time to run a game that's not an event. So, like, if you, if you really want to just run an impromptu open table, Sunday's the perfect time. Everyone's looking for a game. Um, they want to try something new that they went on the con. It's a great opportunity. That's cool. Did you hear about the two gentlemen who stole like $300,000 worth of cards <laughs> from Gen Con? Yeah, Lorcana was crazy. Uh, yeah, they stole, sure. It, it, go for, good for them. I mean, that's nuts. I've seen a meme already that says if people don't cosplay as those two guys next year, what are we even doing on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... People were crazy I mean, around Lorcana. I mean, there was people that got trampled, um, mm -hmm. sixteen-hour lines, and yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I understand that we go to conventions for certain things. I think we mentioned it on our last podcast. When we look at the individuals who go stand in lines just to take the card and sell them online, resale at a ridiculously high price point, that feels like almost like you're cheating. It's. It's not cheating in the sense of you're getting ahead by doing something wrong. You're essentially cheating somebody else who really wants it, who wants, like, who wants to keep it, who has a love for this. Whereas I believe you said specifically capitalism for the win here, but it feels wrong. 
to me. I would never want to take that opportunity from somebody who was actually interested. But that's a personal thing. And I hate people who do. Yeah. I hate when people do. Phrase it that way. So. Yeah. Not, not a, not a fan. But, you know, I'm also not a huge Disney fan. Not a huge trading card game fan. And I mean, I still have all my Yu-Gi-Oh cards from when I was younger. Like, I played the hell out of that game. And I'm talking, like, before they went, like, really weird with all their new rules and shit. Like, these are the original OG cards. I could probably sell those for decent cash at this point. But I will never look into it. Um, other than that, things that happened over the convention, I released our Epic Table Games third adventure for 5th edition in our custom world of Aetheria. So... That was exciting. You're pumping them out. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying. It's it's hard work. Like I promised Dave from Everyday Heroes that I would write an adventure compatible with Everyday Heroes, and I'd have it done by November. I'd have it done by Christmas, and I, I'm having a hard time with it already. What do you mean? You 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 shout out a mega dungeon. So I find that as much as I love the modern setting and the modern system, working with all of that is easy for me until I try to write an adventure where I don't have fantasy to fall back on. Like who's the villain? Uh, no, I got the idea for villains, but I'm like, I can't just throw a dragon in there for the hell of it. Like it doesn't fit. So I got to, I got to, figure out how to throw somebody in there who's just known as the dragon. There we go. I can just symbolize the hell out of everything. Thanks, Eli. Hey, I didn't think I, about that. I'm glad I could help. Your ideas are the shit, bro. I love them. <laughs> so, uh, as of when we're recording this, uh, it's not. it doesn't line up to match hour to hour to our release schedule. So it's only been a few days since Gen Con and our release happens a few days prior, I'm sorry, uh, post recording. Are you completely decompressed from the best four days in gaming? Yeah. I mean, I'm, but like, I don't need to decompress it. I just need to play more games. It just gets me. So I'm more just wound up. I wish I could just game and game and game and game and game and play. Mm -hmm. So, um, haven't even had my th my next Thursday session yet, and been thinking about Hackmaster and oh, I hear you, I hear you. I uh, I got home and my I, I just sort of took take a day to sort of relax and just chill. I started looking into other conventions for me to join in and be a part of. And dude, I'll tell you, press passes for smaller conventions are a bitch to get, and getting a free pass for one convention I was looking at required 16 hours of DMing. Yeah. That's, that's four games though. It is four games. Sure. But I'm like 16 hours. And then if you want to have a pass for the entire weekend, you have to run like 24 hours worth of games. I'm like this. You're a small convention. You have less than 7,000 people show up. Like, you're asking me to sell my entire time there just so I can get a $20 pass. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, no, I might as well fucking just get the pass. 
it's it's hard to comp people uh comp people those tickets for small uh small conventions but uh that's that's how i started i just ran just ran a bunch of events you know (laughs) i was very broke i I mean but i still eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches hey i get it i had i had pb and j's throughout the entire convention too I wish I would have checked out that Brazilian place, though. That sounds like a fucking awesome. I can't believe awesome you never dinner. went. It, you talked about it so much. It was $62.50 a person. That's pre-tax, bro. Oh, you were so excited about it, though. I can be excited and wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So to close with anything, is there a, a final statement that you would like to give us before we end today's episode of SideQuest. Come to Gen Con. Come to Origins. Go to a local gaming convention. I concur. Check out any local convention you can if you feel free. Travel to whatever conventions you would like to. Be safe. Have fun. And check us out online at EpicTableGames.com or on Facebook at EpicTableGames. And send me your unsolicited RPGs. I will check them out. Okay, new intro, we've changed the name, and we're still using the word paladin. Paladin. I mean, it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay.